This podcast is brought to you by RMA, the Risk Management Association. RMA's sole purpose is to advance the use of sound risk management principles in the financial services industry. Learn more at rmahq.org. This podcast is sponsored by RMA's annual Risk Management Conference. Attend this year's premier event, October 27 through 29, in New Orleans to hear the best practices for managing today's top risks. Visit rmahq.org for details. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining our RMA podcast today. I'm Rick Bozinski, Chief Economist at Ibis World. My partner in crime today is Dev Strychek. I'm sure you know him as a frequent contributor to the RMA Journal and author of RMA's must-read recent book, Analyzing Construction Contractors. Always delighted to work with you, Dev. So thanks to RMA and you for this opportunity. Dev and I recently published two articles in the RMA Journal. These were extensions of an RMA series on flying blind into the next recession. The first three installments of Flying Blind were published consecutively in early 2018. What's important about these is that they lay out lending fundamentals that matter regardless of where we sit in the credit cycle, including the eight deadly sins of lending. Suggest you check these out if you haven't already. Ken Brown, now at Apple Bank, was my co-author for these papers. What Dev and I tried to do in parts four and five was identify some key factors that differentiate the current cycle from the past. What should make us think differently now? And what should we be alerted to as the credit cycle becomes fatigued? It's all about preparation for a downturn and just as critically positioning for recovery. And speaking of lending through cycles. Dev, perhaps you can lead us off with some of your observations. Thanks, Rick. And so let me take up the baton here and talk a little bit more about business cycles, particularly from the standpoint of lending and credit. First, let's talk about what a recession is. We refer to a very severe recession as depression. Of course, severe is not really defined, so labeling a recession as a depression is sort of a matter of judgment. And in fact, there's really no common rule of thumb. Uh, The National Bureau of Economic Research uh, doesn't provide any guidance. But if you think about what President Harry Truman once said, it's a recession when your neighbor loses his job, it's a depression when you lose yours, it kind of puts some perspective on it. Now, some economic observers define a depression as when output declines by more than 10% or the recession lasts for more than two years. Based on that second definition of over two years and using the NBER recession length records, The USA has experienced depressions between 1865 to 1867, 1873 to 1879, 1882 to 1885, 1910 to 1912, and of course the big guy, the big kahuna, 1929 to 1933, which of course we all refer to as the Great Depression, never again, we hope. Now economists tend to treat a panic as sort of a subset, Uh, an acute financial disturbance, widespread bank failures, feverish stock followed by a market crash, or climate of fear caused by economic crisis or the anticipation of such a crisis. Does that kind of sound familiar? So, let's take this a step further. We started taking uh, records on recessions back in 1854, and we've counted 33 of them since then. What is really remarkable is how well we've managed to reduce the length of recessions 
and increased the expansion. And if you divide it at World War II, before World War II, the average expansion lasted only 26 months. After World War II, right up to the present day, it's now to 58. And by the way, the current expansion is now the longest in history, so maybe we'll be able to push that average up a little bit more. Contractions, on the other hand, used to last 21 months, and now they're down to only 11. But those are really long 11 months. Uh, recessions happen when there's lower spending, firms are selling less and cutting back the workforce, and cutting back the workforce means more unemployment and they don't have money to spend. So monitoring investment does offer some clues. And what makes this Greek expansion sort of interesting is that there's been a change in the type of investment. Uh, some people call it intellectual property products, uh, software and so on and so forth. And so uh, in 2019, uh, the investment in those non-residential investment uh, uh, products is going to hit $1 trillion, about 14% of GDP. And big tech firms spent over $300 billion in 2018, much of it on cloud computing infrastructure. And the, the result of this is there's less investment in structures and equipment, more, of course, in the IPP, the intellectual property products. And the good news about that is IPP tends to be more stable. And simply because, hey, we've got to keep all of this data, uh, regardless of what's going on in the economy. However, IPP is sensitive uh, to advertising revenue, so think about all of those ads that pop up when you go on Google and so on and so forth. Where do we go from here? Well, let's talk a little bit about the cycles themselves. Firms go through the business cycle, the ups and downs, and economists have basically categorized them into four things. Early expansion, that's we often refer to that as the recovery, the late expansion, the boom, the early contraction when everything starts slowing down, and then late contraction, uh, a nice euphemism for what we would probably refer to as recession. So borrowers' attitudes act, uh, for what they do during these uh, phases is what becomes important to us as lenders and credit extenders. In the early expansion, the recovery, this is when borrowers need, frankly, money in order to prime the pump. They need money uh, for sale, to support sales growth in the form of working capital, and that usually is acquisition of inventory, uh, offering easy credit terms so your receivables are going to grow, and finally getting around to uh, getting the uh, physical plant up to, up to date. Maybe the equipment needs to be replaced, whether it's transportation or fixed equipment. As you roll into the late expansion, and what often accompanies this is sort of a, you don't get quite as much bang for the buck. And so it takes more and more dollars of working capital assets, more and more dollars of fixed assets to support that additional dollar of sales. And eventually, over this period, rates are going to get higher and higher, and so it becomes more and more expensive to grow. And finally, borrowers will say, hey, I think we've had enough. Then, as they start to reduce the amount of production, cut back on that workforce, put more people into unemployment, on comes the slowdown or early contraction. 
by this time, of course, now firms need money not to buy inventory so much, but to cover their operating costs uh, while they try to collect those receivables from customers they might not have extended credit to in the early part of the of business cycle. But as you get toward the end of it, hey, uh, any any warm uh, warm home along the way when you're coming back from the long winter of discontent, uh, this becomes uh, pretty appealing. Finally, you kind of slide into recession, and now companies just basically need to borrow in order to cover their bre uh, their break-even costs, and they're waiting for, of course, the early expansion to come on. They've run down their inventory. This is where you see a lot of inventory discount sales, 50% off, 75% off, and liquidating any other non-essential assets until finally, finally, uh, they work their way back into the early expansion. What also becomes kind of interesting is, well, who's most vulnerable during this period? And the answer is, at the top of the list would be construction, but right behind construction are all of the things that rely on, uh, on construction. Uh, furniture and appliances, uh, we're talking about carpets and rugs, and of course the building materials trade. We need to be aware that there are also technical uh, changes that come with, uh, with uh, the business cycle. And much of this is uh, the consequence of something that uh, economist uh, Joseph Schumpeter talked about, that there's uh, an industrial cycle 50 to 60 years long, uh, and the what goes on is creative destruction. Old, uh, old industries are replaced by new industries. Think about back when the iPhone hit and the damage that it has done to cameras. How many people own a camera anymore? Uh, and, of course, the alarm clock business, the wristwatch business, and it goes on and on and on. So I w I've given you a quick review of business cycles, how many they are, how long they are. The good news is they don't last as long as they used to. They, go they do now go longer than they used to after before World War II. And I've given you a little trip through the business cycle and closed out with the uh, Schumpeter uh, technological innovation cycle. So with that, let me hand the baton back to Rick, and thank you very much. Thanks so much, Dev. Great stuff as usual. You've made a lot of great points here, and I'm going to center on a few. One is the surge of private investment in intellectual property in America. Uh, this is definitely something bankers need to fully grasp as the siren song of safe and sound lending. So what am I talking about? Dev, as we pointed out in part four of Flying Blind, there are 50 quote-unquote super sectors that employ a high proportion of STEM workers. Those are science, technology, engineering, and math workers that generate about 80% of new patents and spend almost 90% of America's total R&D. Wow. Particularly if you're worried about recent trade tensions, super sectors generate an outsized 60% of U.S. export, despite representing less than 10% of the nation's employment. Wow, again. So many of these industries are in the tech area, as per Dev's intellectual property investment argument, but many more are in U.S. manufacturers that have invested in or are beneficiaries of technical innovation. So those that believe that American manufacturing is dead, oops, you just have to pick your spots. Dev also mentioned the concept of creative destruction. This is all about life cycles 
of industries. The alert here is we all need to avoid industries that are in decline, the declining stage of their industry life cycle. And what we need to do is seek out bowers in growth industries like the STEM-related industries I mentioned previously. Another area we covered in our papers was the growth of government, corporate, and household debt. This drain of funds can crowd out what is available to finance private investment. Remember, this is a significant portion of the all-important intellectual property space. This is what Dev highlighted. And finally, in our papers, Dev and I discussed the so-called retail apocalypse, where recent studies have shown that closures in retail through July of this year already surpassed the total in 2018. These closures involve not only the big brick-and-mortar players like Sears, Toys R Us, and Kmart, but also small mom-and-pop shops and restaurants that depend on the anchor stores to drive traffic. This is where most banks have significant exposures. Scary stuff. Well, that's all for now, and thanks for being here. I just want to let you know that Dev and I will be joined by Kent Kirby from Commerce Bank at the RMA Annual Conference, October 28th in New Orleans. We'll be presenting the final installment of the Flying Blind series, so I look forward to seeing you all there. All the best. Thanks for joining us.